when Courtney and I first got married, we decided to honeymoon in the Smoky Mountains of Tennessee. And so we went out there, we got a cabin up on the side of this mountain for a week, just kind of relaxed and chilled out. Um, and each night we would drive into town to get some dinner and do an activity or something, we'd come back. Well, one night we were driving back to the cabin after our evening, and as we were driving up this, you know, little curvy mountain road, um, Courtney informed me that um, she had to go to the bathroom, which obviously gave me a great chance to tease and mess with her as her new husband. And so as we're driving up the side of the mountain, um, I start swerving the car back and forth in the street, of course, to rock her and her full bladder all over the chair, uh, in love, of course. Um, And so I'm doing this, and as we come around a corner, a car is coming at us, and so I quickly correct over into our lane, but I overcorrect, and the tire slides off the road, and we go down into this very, very steep ditch and come about this close from hitting a telephone pole. So at that moment, I start banging on the steering wheel and cursing like a sailor uh, because I'm so mad at myself for what just happened, and my wife, new wife of three days, is like, what is going on? Uh, I jump out of the car to assess the situation, and like, it's obvious very quickly that we're not getting out of this ditch without a tow truck. I have no reception on the side of the mountain, and so instead of saying anything to my now bewildered and freaked out wife, still sitting at a 45 degree angle in the car, by the way, I just start marching down the mountain to get to the main road to call a tow truck. And she's sitting there going like, who did I marry? Like, who is this man? I don't even know this guy. Like, where did he come from? Complete, complete husband fail, like three days in, right? I rocked her security that day like none other, right? And, men, that is the last thing. That is the last thing that we want to do with our wives. God has called us to the exact opposite of that. Now, by his grace, he's grown me through the years, hopefully, and it's, that happens a lot less often um, in a lot less uh, severe ways. But, but it's still something we have to keep a check on as men because we don't always function the way they function. And so that's what we want to look at today in God's word is how can I reassure rather than rock my wife's security? How can I reassure rather than rock my wife's security? And we're going to see that through several things that God has told us to do as husbands um, in marriage. So let's start in Ephesians chapter 5, starting in verse 22 this morning. It says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ... So also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor, without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. In the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church. Because we are members of his body, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. All right, a lot to unpack in that, right? And so as we dive in this morning, I'm going to start by just introducing you to this graphic that you have there on your page 
Um, it's called the marriage wheel. And we use this to visualize uh, the different roles that the Bible lays out in marriage. God's role, the husband's role, the wife's role, how all those roles fit together. Um, and, but today we're going to deal with just the husband's side. Next week we're going to deal with the wife's side. But before we start into any of that, we have to establish the hub. The center of the wheel. Right? And God is at the center. And so the first step, men, that we have to do is to lock in on God. Point number one, lock in on God in our marriage. God is the center of marriage. Not me, not my wife, not the children. God is the center. Now in verse 31 that I just read... Paul quotes God at the creation of marriage at the very beginning, reminding us again that God is the author. He is the designer of marriage, and so therefore he is at the center of it. Also, it reminds us there that God makes couples one flesh. We talked about that last week, right? One flesh in their union together through his spirit. This summer when we studied Malachi chapter 2, we are... We studied Malachi in chapter 2, verse 15. It says this Did he not make them one with a portion of the Spirit in their union? Talking about God and bringing two people together. And was not one God, what was the one God seeking but godly offspring? So we see that God is at the center because he created it, and he actually is the one in his Spirit who joins us together. He's part of the marriage, right? And then we get to verse 32 in Ephesians 5. And it reveals that marriage is ultimately for his glory and not ours. Right? It's a picture. This mystery of marriage is designed to be a picture of Christ and the church and to bring God glory. Again, Malachi 2.15 that we just read as well says that one of God's purposes in marriage is to bring about godly offspring so that future generations will worship him and bring him glory as well. And so marriage is primarily about him and his glory, not about us. And that's why he has to be at the center. So as Christian husbands, we are called to fulfill our roles, not just for us, not just for our sake, not just for our wives' sake even, but first and foremost for the Lord. We do it for him and for his glory. It's an act of worship and an act of obedience to the one that we say is our Lord and God. There's so much more at stake in marriage than we often realize. And this is why we must seek him first in our marriages, in our roles. Now, moving on then to verse 33, we see that God has also designed men and women with different needs. Right? Did you catch that? He said wives are called to respect their husbands because God has created husbands with a need for significance. That's the first, one of the, first, the blanks in your marriage wheel there for the, for the husband. That he, he's built with this need to feel significant, that they are accomplishing the purpose for which they were created and called, right? That they're, they're doing what God has told them to do. And that comes through being respected in that role. On the flip side, it says that husbands are called to love their wives because God has created wives with a need for security, right? To feel that they are fully loved and fully known in their relationship with their husband. However, 
before we can rightly receive either one of these needs on either side, first we have to receive those things from God himself. They have to come from the center first, right? That's why when you look back in Ephesians chapter 5, when it starts talking about the roles, look at what it says in verse 22 and 25. It says, uh, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord, right? And husbands, love your wives as Christ. It's always centered back. It's always anchored back in God himself. We don't just do it on our own. We don't just do it in our own strength, our own power. He is our source to do these things. And he is our first source to receive significance and security that he's designed us for. Only, only in the perfect redemption of Jesus Christ on the cross for our sins will we ever really feel the significance and security that we're looking for. It's only in our identity in him for we will be really fulfilled in that. So we, it all flows and revolves and starts with God at the center. And so once that happens, then it becomes our job in the Lord to meet those needs in our spouse and our marriage. Right? We join him in that work. But notice I said, we meet those needs. We don't demand those needs. It doesn't start with me demanding what I need from her. It starts with me meeting what she needs from me. Right? It's me doing my side of the wheel, doing my role first. And once we've submitted to the Lord and he becomes primary in our lives, then we become the vessel that he uses to meet those needs in our spouse's life. So for husbands, it becomes our primary responsibility under God to promote security in the heart of our wives as we are one flesh together. But first, I must find my significance in God in order to foster security in my wife. Men, all the things we're getting ready to go through, they're going to foster security in your wife. You cannot do that on your own. We don't have it in us. First, we have to go to the well. We have to go to the source and let God be the one who fills our cups so we can turn around and pour into the cups of our wives. So I find my significance in the Lord and then I'm able to love and to give her the security that she needs. So the first thing is lock in on God. Now, Paul lays out three specific roles that we fulfill as we do this, okay? So the first one is to love. Man, your first role in your marriage is to love your wife. He says right there, love your wives. And notice in, in verse 25 there, it's, a, it's an imperative, it's a command, which tells us here that he's not talking about love as a feeling or as an emotion. When the Bible talks about love, it's not a feeling. It's a choice that we make. It's an action that we choose to take to love them, to put them first before ourselves. That's what biblical love is, right? It says it right there. It says, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. So Christ is our example, and he defines love as sacrifice. Biblical love is sacrifice, which means it's not easy. It's not cheap. And it's not natural to us. We don't naturally do that for other people. Right? 
when you love, guys, it will cost you something. It will be a sacrifice. We use this definition all the time. Love is you before me. Sacrifice. It means giving your time to serve her rather than pursue your own interests. It means spending the money on her desires rather than your own. It means extending grace even when she doesn't deserve it. It means sacrificing to put her first. So how can we love like that? That is a tall order. Paul actually tells us exactly how this works in Ephesians 5. It's just earlier in the chapter. Look back at verse 2. Scan up in the chapter there to verse 2. Look what he says. He says, and walk in love. He's going to tell us right here how to walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Interesting, same language as down in Ephesians 5 marriage section. But check, check this, as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You see, Christ was able and willing to love us even when we didn't deserve it, even when we hadn't earned it, even when nothing had been done by us. He was willing and able to love us because he first loved and submitted to God the Father. It was an offering. It was a sacrifice to God first. And then that love was able to flow down to us. Likewise, men, we can only sacrificially love our wives like Christ, if that love flows from our love for God first. We've got to have that. It's an act of worship. It's an act of obedience to the Lord. He defines more about this love down in verse 28. He says, they should love their wives as their own bodies, which we talked about a little bit last week. It's a really powerful picture, right? Because none of us have a problem loving our own bodies. We do that really well, right? It becomes really natural to like take care of ourselves and make ourselves priority. We do that all the time. Like, guys, I, I'm just curious, how many meals did you miss this week? How many times did you forget to feed yourself this week, right? No, you didn't. How many times did you not put on shoes or clothes before you left the house? How many times did you walk into oncoming traffic? None, right? Because you care about yourself, you care about your body, and you nourish it, and you cherish it, and you protect it, and you love yourself. And God's like, great, that's fine. Now love her like that. Love her like you love yourself. If we could even just do that, man, the love that our wives would feel would be so overwhelming. I've mentioned before, I oftentimes, I've been playing basketball on Sunday nights now with guys from our church and other pastors, and I absolutely love it. Like, it's been so good for me to get back to this. And I love it so much that I never want to miss out on it. Like, I, every week I want to be there. Well, two weeks ago, we were playing, and I dove for a ball, and I ended up twisting my ankle and banging up my knee a little bit. And so all that week, I was icing it, I was taking the anti-inflammatories, I was doing all the things to, like, get it better so I could be ready to play on Sunday. So Sunday comes, and it was still a little tender, but I was like, I think I can do this. And so I taped it up real good, and I went and I played last Sunday night, and it was not good. 
I could barely play. It was way worse when I got done. Like, should have never done it. But I still did it because I love to play. I was willing to make that sacrifice, endure that pain, because I love to play. We make sacrifices for the things that we love. We do it all the time. Small things, big things, everything in between. And guys, God is calling us, he is telling us, love your wives sacrificially. Be like that. Be willing to endure the pain, to give it up, to do whatever it takes to love her. So men, how are you sacrificing to love your wife? Not if. It's easy to say, yeah, I do that. How? How are you sacrificing to love your wife? Put a metric on it. First thing we're called to do is to love. That's your first role. Second role is to lead. Looking back at verse 23, it says, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is his is himself its savior. So the second role is to lead, and it says here that the husband is the head of the wife. So what does that mean? Right? There's lots of debate around this. What's it mean that he is the head of his wife? Well, the verse actually gives us some really great context clues because he says, just like Christ is the head of the church. Right? So he's given us an illustration here. And if we look at some other verses, we can learn very quickly what it means that Christ is the head of the church, right? So Ephesians 1:22 says that in he, God, put all things under his feet, Christ's feet, and gave him as head over all things to the church. So what that says is that here God made Christ the head over all things. He made him the leader. He made him the authority. He made him the head of the church. Right? We see that illustrated again in Colossians 1.18. It says, and he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. So it says the same thing, but it adds to it this picture again of the body, the same picture that was in Ephesians 5, right? That that we are part of the body of Christ, and Christ is the head of that body, the church. And so it's the picture here is literally a physical body and a head. So what lessons can we learn, men, from our head and our physical body? How does our head lead our bodies? I'm going to give you five things this morning, okay? One. The head of a body leads by listening. Your head, your brain is part of your peripheral nervous system, right? Which receives all this communication from the rest of your body. And the nerves send up information. Your head listens to what your body has to say and then makes a decision on what to do from that point forward. Right? If you touch a hot stove, that signal goes up. The brain listens and says, all right, stop doing that. That's not good for you. And you pull back. Right? But first, he has, the brain has to listen Likewise, men, we must listen to our wives. We must listen to other men and other godly counsel in order to be able to lead well and to respond correctly in various situations. You do not lead in a vacuum. It's not just you making decisions carte blanche. We have to listen to be able to lead well. So a head leads by listening. Number two, a head leads by communicating. Our brain is also 
part of the central nervous system, right, which sends communication out to the rest of the body and tells the body what to do and what, how things are going and how to proceed in different situations. This includes both voluntary and involuntary communication, right? Like sometimes it's conscious, sometimes it's unconscious. Like right now your brain is telling your heart to beat blood and telling your lungs to breathe air, and you're not even thinking about it. But your brain is communicating all those things. Likewise, your brain is communicating to your hand on what notes to write down and what words to write. So men, same thing for us. Part of leading is communicating with our wives, both spoken and unspoken. It's not just the words that you say. It's also your attitude. It's also your actions. It's all the little things that you do around your house. They communicate to your wife, for better or for worse. And so a head leads by communicating in a way that is clear and correct. And most of the time, if your wife's not willing to follow, first of all, you're not actually leading. And she can't follow if there's not clear communication. So we lead by listening, we lead by communicating. Number three, a head leads by directing. Your brain makes around 35,000 decisions a day. 35,000 decisions a day, right? Small things, big things, sometimes life-changing decisions, depending on the day. Men, likewise, we also have to make decisions constantly about our marriage and about our families. This is always in front of us. Right? As the head, it is our job to own those decisions and the results of those decisions. Right? It's our job to own that. Notice I didn't say make necessarily. You don't have to make all the decisions in your home. You can allow others, your wife, your kids, even at times, to make decisions, but it's your job to own those decisions, even the ones that they make, and the results of those decisions, because they fall under your authority. Along with that comes accountability for all those decisions. There's a great verse for this in 1 Corinthians 11, 3. It says, but I want you to understand that the head of every man is Christ. Okay, good. The head of a wife is her husband. Got it. And the head of Christ is God. This is so illustrative, men. Notice, Christ is both in authority and under authority. Right? He is in authority over us, but he's also under authority of God the Father. Likewise, men, we need to always remember that we are in authority in our homes and with our wives, but we are also under the authority of Christ. We are accountable to God himself for the decisions that we make in our homes. You can't just take responsibility, you also have to take accountability. For those things with the Lord. I was having a conversation with a, a friend last week and he made a statement that really stuck with me. He said, he said, boys assign blame, men assume responsibility. That's what we're called to. We're called to assume the responsibility of leading our home and leading our wives well before the Lord. And we will be accountable to him for how we do that. And it's a heavy weight, but it's one that we're called to bear. Now, anytime I talk about this, I automatically have some guy who wants to say to me, okay, I hear that, that's great, but that means that I get final to say in the decisions, right? 
Like, I get the final say if I'm going to be accountable for things. Technically, yes. But tread lightly. And I'm not even joking. If you're listening and you're communicating effectively with your wife, most of the time, you should be able to come to a consensus on decisions. You should be able to compromise and talk it out and get there together. At the very least, you should be able to get her on board enough where she's willing to go with you, even if she doesn't fully agree. If you're having to constantly pull the trump card on marital decisions, that's a sign of really poor leadership and probably unloving leadership. I can only think of like one or two times in our 20 years of marriage that I've had to say, I hear you, I'm sorry, but we're going this way. It's not common. It shouldn't be common. We should be listening, we should be communicating, we should be directing together with her as much as, option, as, much as possible. Do not use the nuclear option lightly. Fourthly, the head leads by protecting. As we said earlier, we're told to love our wives by nourishing them and cherishing them as we do our own bodies, right? Your head protects your body all the time, makes decisions to make sure that your body is safe and is well and is doing good. And so our job is to care for our wives and to provide for them and for their well-being and for their flourishing and I think most of us as men, we, we get this on a physical level, right? Like we're kind of just naturally wired to be like protectors and providers. And so like, you know, we bulk up at the gym and we hide firearms in strategic places and we have, you know, security cameras and we watch Chuck Norris film or whatever you do, right? Like, like we're, we're ready to like step in and physically protect. Like we're, we're willing to put ourselves in harm's way to protect our wives and our kids. We protect them physically. But do we protect them emotionally? Do we protect them financially? Do we protect them spiritually? When he talks about protecting, it's not just the physical, it's, it's all of it. Are we protecting them, their whole being, their whole self, and not just the part that we are naturally good at or naturally drawn to? That's part of leading to protecting, not neglecting every part of our wives. And then lastly, number five, head leads by serving. Again, the scripture says that Christ is the head of the church because he is also its savior. That is so important, so instructive. That one of the reasons Christ is the head is because he has served, he has sacrificially served the church by laying down his life to save it. All throughout the scriptures, Christ is the example of a servant leader. And men, we are called to be servant leaders in our homes. Servant leadership is about lifting others up and helping them flourish rather than pushing others down so that we can flourish. It means taking responsibility, not just authority. Let me say it this way. Don't just dictate what needs to be done. Do something to serve the ones that you lead. 
If you're just sitting back in the chair and barking orders and that's your leadership, that's not servant leadership. Servant leaders do. Like, you need to plan a date night for you and your wife, including getting the babysitter and the reservation and the whole thing. Don't put that on her. You need to plan a family vacation. You need to prioritize time with your kids and your wife and make it happen. That's serving them. You need to to discipline your kids. Don't just put that on her. You do your part. It's not all you, but it's not all her either. You have to serve. I know it's been a long day at work, but you still have to come home and serve. Lead in Bible study. Lead in prayer in your home. Be an example. This is what it means to lead by serving. That same friend that I was talking to last week, he also said this. He said, boys consume more than they produce. Men produce more than they consume. Are you serving in your home in a way that you are contributing, that you are producing? I'm not talking about just a paycheck. I'm talking about are you serving and producing in your home more than you're consuming in your home? That's servant leadership. Lead by serving, and I guarantee she will follow. Absolutely. So men... Are you leading by dictating or by doing? When you think about leadership in your home, are you leading by dictating or are you leading by doing? Are you serving like Christ? So we love, we lead, and then the final role, the third one that we have here is to learn. For this, we're going to go to 1 Peter. So flip over to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. A lot in that verse. But the main thing is to learn. Live with your wives in an understanding way. You need to understand her, which naturally you don't. I get it. So you have, to, you have to learn. You have to study. Your life's goal should be to get a PhD in your wife. Nobody should know her better than you do. So how do we learn our wives? We learn by listening, not diminishing her views. Right? I had a pastor friend who once used to say, he used to say, uh, when you're dating and engaged, you learn all the ways that you're the same. In marriage, you learn all the ways that you're different. And that that can be difficult, but men, we need to embrace that. We need to learn how she's different. We need to learn her differences. We need to learn her preferences. We need to, to learn them even when they are the complete opposite of us. And as we learn and as we respect those differences, our wives will feel seen and heard. And they will feel secure in their relationship with us. So we learn by listening, not diminishing. Secondly, we learn by sharing, not domineering our life together. It's something that you share with her. 
Paul had it right. Opposites attract. Most of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Most of the time, when you marry someone, they will be the opposite of you. In almost every way. (laughs) And that's okay. God designed it that way. Your wife will be different than you. She'll have different strengths. She'll have different weaknesses. And don't despise that. Learn those strengths and learn those weaknesses and then leverage them for the good of your marriage. Learn how you can spur her on in her strengths and celebrate what she brings to the table. Learn how you can support her and encourage her in her weaknesses and to fill in those gaps. The more that we learn and share life with our wives in that way, your marriage will grow stronger all around. And then lastly, this is the one that I like the least, learn that learning is a lifelong process. Like, this doesn't happen overnight, guys. It's not something you can, like, check off the list. I know, like, as guys, we're kind of wired to be doers most of the time. They're like, give me the task. I'll knock it out. I'll take the hill. I'll accomplish the thing, and then I'm moving on. Learning your wife is not like that. Partially because she changes all the time. But just in general, like, it's, a, it's just a lifelong thing. Like, you just, if you're, there's always more you can learn. There's always, you can always go deeper. You can always understand more. I thought about this, it's kind of like, uh, if you're a sports guy, like, it's kind of like learning a sport. Like when you first start learning a sport, you learn the fundamentals, right? Like you learn to shoot and to drive and to, and to pass and to do all the things. And then you've learned it, but there's still more to learn. And then you learn the positions and you learn the plays and you can play better, you can go, you can go further. And then you learn some more strategy and some style and like you, there's always more you can learn. There's always more to understand to be a better player, And the best players on the best teams are always learning and evolving more. It's the same thing with our wives. There's always more to learn. There's always more to understand. You can always go deeper in that relationship. It's a lifelong process. And he says, live with your wife in an understanding way. And then he ties it to the next thing. Look, he says, showing honor to her as the weaker vessel. Now, when Paul says weaker here, he's referring specifically to physical strength, okay? He is not saying that women are weaker intellectually or weaker spiritually or weaker emotionally. I mean, let's just be honest. We know that's not true. (laughs) They're way better with emotions than we are, right? Like, he's not saying any of that. He's saying that they're, for the, in general, they are weaker physically. God created men with more muscle mass, with more strength, with more body shape. That's just what it is right? But look what he says here. He says, honor her with that. Men, we are told to use our strength to honor our wives, not intimidate them, not control them, not abuse them. Honor them with our strength. He says, honor them as the weaker vessel. The word vessel there in the Greek literally means like a cup or a dish, and I think that the, the picture here that Peter's painting is that men and women, we're, we're just different. Like, men, we're kind of like thermoses, like a big steel thermos. You can, like, throw us around, drop us, actually run over us with the truck, and, like, it'll be a little banged up, but for the most part, it'll be okay. Like, we're going to make it. Our wives are not like that. They're more like fine china, like glass stemware. 
right? Much more breakable, much more delicate. And God is saying that we must handle them with care, with concern. You cannot, men, you cannot talk to your wife or treat your wife like one of the guys. That's not who, that's not who God designed her to be. She's different. You need to honor the way that God designed her to be. You need to learn her so you can honor her in that way, care for her. We, we, we can care for things, guys. I've seen us do it, right? Like cars and guns and golf clubs and shoes and sports memorabilia and whatever other toys you have. We know how to care for things. The things that we love, the things that we really highly value, we care for them really well. God says, care for your wife like that. Learn her, honor her, care for her. So that your prayers may not be hindered. Peter's reminding us here, like, we do have some skin in the game. Because when we don't love our wives, when we don't lead them, when we don't learn them and honor them the way that God's told us to, that is a sin against the Lord. And when we sin against the Lord, it separates us from him, and he will not listen to our prayers. Peter spells it out even more in verse 12, if you just scan down there in this chapter. In verse 12, he says, For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Men, the last thing we want is the face of the Lord against us. That goes nowhere good. And when we neglect his daughters, when we disobey his commands to love and to care for them the way that he designed them to be, his face is against us. And he will not listen to prayers from unrepentant, selfish hearts. And so this is just as important for us as it is for them and as it is for the Lord. Men, are you still studying your wife so that you can honor her? Are you still studying your wife so that you can honor her the way that God has designed her to be? I'm going to invite Courtney to go ahead and come on up. Grab that mic too, babe. We're going to do a Q&A in a second, but I just want to close with a couple, thing, couple final thoughts, and then we'll open it up, and you guys can ask whatever questions you have. Okay? Text those into that number. Going back to the original thought, how can I reassure rather than rock my wife's security? And there's four things we covered, right? God is at the center. Is God at the center of your marriage and your relationship? Does she run to him before she runs to you? Are you pointing her to Christ more than you're pointing her to yourself? He is the Savior. You are not. Is God at the center? Number two, am I lovingly, sacrificially loving my wife? What specific ways are you doing that? Are you sacrificing to love her more? Am I leading through serving? Or am I just dictating to her what I want done? Or am I getting there and doing something to lead? Am I learning and honoring her? Am I supporting and caring caring for her who God made her to be? Okay, those are your categories. All right, so if you've got some questions, text them in there. Thank you, babe. And we will see what we got. Okay.
All right, first question. All right, this one might be for you, babe. Uh, How do I convince my wife she is beautiful when she doesn't believe it? (laughs) That's what Phil tells me all the time. He's like, just keep telling her. Every day, just keep telling her. Yeah, um, I can say that I honestly struggle with that, too. Um, I think the best thing you yes, reminders, telling her that is important. But ultimately, that's a heart issue on her side. And you have to pray over her. You have to encourage her to seek the Lord on those things. Um, She has to become, believe that her value is beyond this physical shell. And that the physical shell is part of you, but it doesn't define you. And you have to anchor yourself in the truth of God's word which is that you are fearfully and wonderfully made, and you are made in the image of God. And that's a really hard thing. Um, Our society does not teach this to young women. It is ingrained in us that we have to look and be something when we're itty-bitty to make our husbands happy, to feel satisfied as a human being, um, and that our value is somehow found in our physical appearance. So... You just have to pray and encourage her with the truth of God's word regularly. Remind her of that. Be patient with her. Don't get frustrated. Just continue to pour that. Lavish her with that love. When she can't see it for herself, you just keep telling her how much that she is beautiful to you. Um, And you just keep praying for the Lord to do that work in her. So women hear that. You need to fight against what the culture teaches and you need to hear your husband and believe it when he says it. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I would say just on the guy's side, um, what I am still learning um, for sure is kind of going back to that communication part that we talked about earlier. It's, not, it's both verbal and nonverbal communication. Like a lot of times as guys, we think as long as we're still like wanting to be physical with our wives and, and wanting that, that intimacy with her, that that like communicates, yeah, you're still beautiful to me because I still want to be with you. Um, and that is, helps, it's not a bad thing, but it's not enough. And so we have to verbally communicate that as well and um, be specific um, and, and be verbally, communi- communicate that verbally, not just, not just about the physical, yes, about the physical, but also why is she beautiful to you even beyond the physical? Okay, it, it should be both. It should be both. I think there's just another thing too, we age. <laughs> Things change. Yep. Babies change us. Um, life circumstances, health issues change us. Everything changes. And so there's, it's a sliding scale, and it's learning to stand in that and knowing that, too. Like, I'm not going to be who I was when I was 24 years old when we got married. Like, it's just not, that's not who I am anymore nope. at all on multiple fronts. <laughs> so, <laughs> and, you man, know, that's not who you are either. No. Just so you know, <laughs> like. I know we still feel that way sometimes, but it's not. Yeah. Yeah. So, so just you have to retrain your brain to think differently on these things, and it's really a work of the Lord in your heart. Um, but keep, keep pressing in both sides. Okay. Um, um, 
I come back to that one. I think that one might be good for another day. How, um, how do you sacrifice for your wife when your children take up 100% of your sacrifice? Um, yeah, so let's kind of zoom out for a second and talk about, like, how to navigate keeping the marriage relationship first when kids are in the picture. Because anytime you introduce kids into the family, um, I think, they just suck the life out of you. And so... We love you, baby. We wouldn't trade you, just, you do. I mean, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. Like, I, I, we love our children. We don't, we would never give them up. We want them. But it, they just do. They just, they need you in so many ways. And they need the wives in certain, a lot of times they'll need mom in one way, they'll need dad in a different way, but they need you. And so, and you feel like they're, they're not an adult, and so they have a better excuse to need you than maybe she does, right? Like, like they're not fully formed humans yet. And so, you feel like, I got to give more to these kids and, and, and point to them. And we do have responsibility there for sure. And we're going to talk about parenting here in a couple weeks. But, um, but what we have said over and over again, what we've learned is, the only way we can keep having something to sacrifice for them and to give to them is if we're having something here first, right? Like we talked about God has to fill our cup, yes, but our spouse also fills that cup in some ways as well. And so like we need that relationship strong to be able to continue to love and parent them well. Um, Otherwise, you feel like you're on an island trying to do it by yourself. And then you've got two different people in the house trying to parent by themselves and it's, you're, oftentimes you're working against one another and it's, it just doesn't go well. And so, as, as hard as it is, you just have to tell your kids sometimes, no. No, we're not having this conversation right now. Right now, I'm talking with mom. You're going to have to wait. Um, no, we're not taking you to whatever ball game Friday night because mom and dad are going on a date. And you just, you don't get this night. We get this night. Um, and that's okay. You don't need to feel any shame on that. Um, you have to just draw that boundary. And, and we don't do it in a harsh way. I mean, we've tried to, we've tried to teach our kids, like, mom, do you want mommy and daddy to stay married? <laughs> do you want to have, do you want to have two parents, like, in your home? Like, do you want us to, like, not kill you? Then we need time, <laughs> right? Like, just, it's just honest. And, and sometimes they still buck against that, and sometimes they still cry and whine that, hey, you, got, you guys just went out last week. Yes, and we're going out again this week because we need some time, and, and that's good, and that's necessary, and you've just, as men, I would even say, it's on both of you as a couple, it's not just on one, but as men, you are the leader, and you need to draw those lines, and make those priorities, and say, this is what we're doing, and we're going to figure it out. I, I would just say, too, add, like, they're just noisy, they're louder, they're, they're whiny, and they're in your face, and they don't give up, I, and I, again, I love my children, and it, but especially when they're really little, like, but no, they're even like that when they're older too, but um, <laughs> they just, they make a spectacle of themselves, so they suck your t- attention more, and it's easy to give into that. Um, I also say guard against some stuff that our culture is pushing, and that is the, the issue of busyness. We feel like we're neglecting our children by pushing them, or, or say, just because they ex- expressed an interest in something, that they must do all these things. And, and our, 
rat race of a society has increased the commitment level of activities than they used to be even when I was a kid. And so then you get bombarded with activities and the schedule just goes out the window. Um, and you're constantly running to get people to and from things. And this is tricky because we do want our kids to be socially acceptable and to have things to do. And it keeps keeping them busy sometimes does keep them out of trouble. But there is a line that you have to decide as a family. This isn't me coming in and saying, you have to do this and this and don't do that and do that. that. This is something you as a couple need to come to decision on, on what is the most important for our family and what is the most important for our marriage and how does that look in the lives of our children and what they do and what I do. How much do we need to have and how do we do that and figuring out that rhythm and that schedule and learning to say no to some stuff. It doesn't have to be like that. Do not let the expectations of your kids or of, your soci- of the society dictate the priorities of your family. They will take as much as you give them and they will tell you you need to give more and then your family will sacrifice. So you have to draw those lines and it may make you unpopular sometimes. And you have to say, no, I'm sorry, we're not doing that. We said no to some things in our kids' lives that, like, that we knew that they could be really talented at. And we thought, wow, they could really achieve in this area. Like our youngest, I think she could have been the next Sabone Biles. Not joking, the girl was super athletic and then flexible and could do all these crazy things. And we knew immediately that gymnastics would require her to miss Sundays. Not an option. We don't miss church. Not just because he's the pastor. This is an ingrained value we had before we were in ministry. And so setting those parameters, setting values, and it's okay. We can say no to that. um, And she'll find other things. You are not failing your children by not giving them everything. In fact, our... Uh, culture and history tells us that you, our kids actually learn better by learning to have that opposition because they learn how to wrestle through things in their own heart and mind, and they actually become stronger because of it. So back to the marriage part of it, though, reevaluate as a couple those things and find out what's sucking the life out of you and reorient, cut things out if you have to, um, make a priority. We, we just did this this summer, started reevaluating our rhythms of some stuff. And um, he just, he started like, I started looking at the calendar. And I'm like, oh, there's date night. Oh, cool. Like it's just, and nothing's actually been planned. It's just put on the calendar. So then we have it earmarked and nothing's going to touch that outside of like vomit or something. I don't know. So like, <laughs> you know, like those right. things happen. Anyway, go ahead. Uh, let's try to get Maybe one more real quick. Do you have any tips on how to be more aware of my body language with my wife? Um, <laughs> um, no. <laughs> I do not have any tips for that. Um, no, I, I, think, I, think, I think the real... Um, I think the real challenge there is our body language, our words, our reactions, all of those things flow from our hearts, right? They're not, 
they're not completely involuntary. They do come from somewhere, even when we're not aware of it. And so if I'm consistently giving off nonverbal cues to my wife that aren't helping or aren't good or aren't what I, what I want to communicate or what needs to be communicated, then we need to have a conversation about that and what she's seeing or what she's receiving from that. And then I need to do some looking into my own heart as to why am I constantly acting that way? Why am I constantly making that face? Why am I, like, what is causing me to give that nonverbal to her and I need to do that heart work because that's what's going to change it ultimately. So that's kind of a abstract answer, but. I, I was going to say for the woman's it. side too, that there's, there's actually probably a deeper issue for her too. Um, like, you know, yeah, there are some things that he's, he's coming in grumpy, you know, eh, eh, whatever kind of thing. But there are those things too. If I, a lot of times there's a deeper issue inside of what I'm really longing for in our relationship. It has less to do with the bad mood that he just had or the bad day he had at work and he came home a little gruff. Um, it has more to do with there's a, 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 an intimacy issue. And I don't mean that just in the physical sense, but in like just that connection with one another, we're feeling disconnected. And so a lot of times then we're set off already too, ready to, like if he looks at me the wrong way and I'm like, like ready to lose it um, because he's, his, his body language was off um, rather than being set in like, okay, making sure that other areas are and finding out really what is it is that I'm, I'm having struggles with. Cause it's usually less about the thing. Cause we can all handle our kids come in and gruff all the time. And you're like, did something happen? Like, you know, like we, we press into those moments, but um, with our spouses, we can just get irritable back and it just makes it worse. So anyway. Good. All right. That's all our time for today. Let me pray for us and we'll close out. Heavenly father, thank you God so much for, uh, your word, and just the way that it continues to speak to our hearts and refine us. And God, I pray for all the men in the room right now, both the married and the unmarried. Um, God, that you would, um, through your Holy Spirit, Lord, that you would lead them, you would convict them, you would grow them in these roles that you've given us. Lord, that they would be leaders, servant leaders. God, that they would be those who love and care and honor others, uh, whether it be their wives or others that you've put in their lives, God. Um, may we be men who reflect your character and the love of Christ. Um, Lord, may you do a fresh thing in the hearts and the lives of our men in our church. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.